0: According to our schedule, I'll be here not only this Lord's Day, but the next several Lord's Days. Pastor Tate is in Zimbabwe. And what we started a couple of weeks ago uh, in studying God's covenants with man, we're going to continue that this morning. And in this hour, uh, for the next several weeks, my hope and desire, my prayer, expectation is that we will grow to understand and value this aspect of God's Word which is so important to us in many ways. So um, as as our brother has led us in prayer we expect God will be our help. So I want to start with a little bit of review. A review and a subject like this is very important. I'll go over things, and some of these things maybe you know better than some others. But uh, I'll be I'll be re- reviewing fairly frequently because it is the repetition of the very basics of of covenant of the of God's covenants with men uh, that we need to we need to get a grasp on, and the repetition is no small part of uh, of. Of that, uh, of that teaching. Uh, you'll, you'll know that places the Apostle Paul and others say that it's uh, he, he doesn't count it a burden to repeat the same things because it is safe for us when we see the word of God and we come from this angle and that angle, from this passage and that passage, uh, then we see the, the basis for uh, what God does and what God teaches us through his covenant Dealing. So we're resuming that this morning. We started, and we're not going to go there at this point, but we we started with Hebrews chapter 6, verses 13 to 20. Whenever you think about covenants, I encourage you to think about it in terms of that particular text as a key text. So whether you're just meditating on the truths that we're learning or you're trying to study more deeply the things uh, I urge you to always keep Hebrews 6, 13 to 20 in mind. It's very, very important. And the subject is is a difficult subject and a valuable subject for us. I mentioned a couple of weeks ago that inadequate definitions of covenants are common. And one of the things I I hope to accomplish is to show you how uh, some people arrive at that kind of a definition the definite in that, these inadequate definitions. Why they why they uh, make those concept definitions, and how we can see the corrective of God's word. Um, there are, as I mentioned last time, again reviewing. Uh, there are there are um, two words in our in the original languages. There's the Old Testament word for covenant which is berith, B-E-R-I-T-H, berith. And if you're interested in, uh, if you have Strong's Concordance or something like that, that's key to the Strong Numbers, that's number 1285 in Strong's Concordance. The New Testament word is diatheke, uh, and that's Strong's number 1242. So if you ever want to do a study on those particular words, and those are the only words really, that, uh, that are used to designate covenants, uh, you have, those, you have that, uh, those resources for you. Now, there are a number of, uh, actually, there are two definitions for each of those words, two ways it's translated in our New Testament. The, the words, both words are translated covenant. That's the main translation word for berith and deyathekeh. Okay? Uh, But sometimes they are translated testament. And uh, when we come to some of these passages, I'll explain why uh, it's translated one way or another. So we have these various definitions that that people people have of a covenant. Uh, One of the main ones is an agreement between two or more persons. Um, There are other definitions which are made as well. What what we have done last time was to look at the features of covenants, at least I I listed the features of covenants, and uh, and showed you that, or at least I said, that uh, there there are two main features of covenant which are true of every covenant God works with men, God makes with men. And those are promise and oath. Every covenant has promises. Every covenant God makes with men involve an oath. Uh, The oath strengthens the promise. God doesn't just say he's going to do something. He promises he's going to do something. He swears he's going to do it. And uh, as I mentioned last time. when my wife and I were discussing this some weeks ago, she said, well, why does God need to swear? Isn't his promise enough? Well, his promise is enough for him. And it ought to be enough for us. But what God does is he gives us double assurance of what he is committed to do for us by promising and swearing. A a covenant, then, is an oath-sworn promise. A promise strengthened with an oath. Uh, I was listening to a sermon by Dr. Dale Ralph Davis uh, entitled Firm Covenant. You can find this sermon. I would recommend it to you on uh, Sermon Audio. Uh, Dale Ralph Davis uh, preaches on Genesis 15, verses 7 to 21, a very fine sermon. He says, that God's oath is our handles by which we may lay hold of the promises of God. And that's a good, good way of thinking about it. I also gave you last time uh, a list of men with whom God made covenants. And again, what I what i have done, uh, there are differences among theologians and students of God's word about what constitutes covenants, where you'll find covenants in scripture. But what I did is I took the the Uh, A list of men, I give you a list of men with whom God made covenants and there's no guesswork in it. God says it directly so we're on safe ground. And uh, we're going to be looking at those covenants God makes with men over our weeks together. But this morning, what we're going to do, my review is just about over here, is we're going to look at a covenant made between two men uh, we will talk about covenant, a covenant that God made with man, with a man. But we're going to look at this covenant between two men. And it's going to help us to have a firmer grasp on what's involved in co- how does covenant work. The two men that we're going to be looking at this morning are Abraham and Abimelech. Abraham and Abimelech. We'll look at their history and the covenant they made, and we'll see how covenant works between two men. And we'll also see the way in which a covenant between men differs from covenants God makes with men, because there is a difference. It's a very important one. So, here we go. Uh, Turn to Genesis chapter 21 with me, please. Genesis chapter 21. Here is the passage in which Abimelech and Abraham make a covenant. And I'm going to read with you verses 22 to 32 of Genesis. Chapter 21. Now it came about at that time that Abimelech and Phicol, the commander of his army, spoke to Abraham, saying, God is with you in all that you do. Now therefore, swear to me here by God that you will not deal falsely with me or with my offspring or with my posterity, But according to the kindness that I have shown to you, you shall show to me and to the land in which you have sojourned. Abraham said, I swear it. But Abraham complained to Abimelech because of the well of water which the servants of Abimelech had seized. And Abimelech said, I do not know who has done this thing. You did not tell me, nor did I hear of it until today. Abraham took sheep and oxen and gave them to Abimelech, and the two of them made a covenant. Then Abraham set seven ewe lambs of the flock by themselves. Abimelech said to Abraham, What do these seven ewe lambs mean, which you have set by themselves? He said, You shall take these seven ewe lambs from my hand, so that it may be a witness to me that I dug this well. Therefore, he called the place that place Beersheba, because the two of them took an oath. So they made a covenant to Beersheba, and to Abimelech and Phicol, the commander of his army, arose and returned to the land of the Philistines. So that's the passage in which these two men, great men, if I may put it that way, Abimelech and Abraham made a covenant now this is not the first time you may remember that Abimelech met Abraham it's not the first time back in the beginning of chapter 20 Abraham had had moved to Gerar a major city of the Philistines and that's where Abimelech lived he was king there and uh, that was in Gerar which I think is about uh, It was about 59 miles south of Jerusalem, but you can find it on one of your Bible maps. It was a major city. Abimelech had his seat of uh, of rule there. He was one of many men who were uh, kings of the Philistines. And um, it was there that Abraham told Abimelech that Sarai was his wife. You remember that sinful Lie that Abraham told about his wife that it was uh, that Sarai was his sister. So Abimelech took Sarai to add to his harem. She was a beautiful woman. Abraham was a rich man. So Abimelech tried to take Sarah as his wife. And this was the start of tensions between Abraham and Abimelech. Abraham did not trust Abimelech and Abimelech did not trust Abraham. Why? Well, Abraham didn't trust Abimelech or the Philistines. He said, I thought there's no fear of God in this place and they're gonna kill me for my wife. And Abimelech, once he finds finds out that Abraham has lied to him, he doesn't trust Abraham either. So here are two men living in the same region and they don't trust one another. But here's Abimelech's problem. God is clearly with Abraham. You remember what God did with Abimelech? He told Abimelech in a dream in the night, Abimelech, you're a dead man because of the woman whom you have taken. And Abimelech pleads his innocence. It's very interesting the way God responds. God tells Abimelech, look, I know you did this in the integrity of your heart, but I also kept you from sinning. In other words, Abimelech, if you really knew yourself, you'd be ready to sin. But I stopped you. I prevented you. And he got, God goes on to tell Abimelech, uh, if you don't return this woman, you're a dead man. So that's how God deals with Abimelech. And this is Abimelech's problem. Now in chapter 21, Abimelech wants to resolve the trust on both sides it's a very reasonable thing that Abimelech is doing. He doesn't want this powerful man, Abraham, to whom God is so committed to have anything less than a relationship of goodwill with him. That's why Abimelech comes and he initiates a covenant with Abraham. That's the background for what we're studying. So now we're going to look at the features of this covenant—five features of the covenant that Abraham and Abimelech make in chapter 21. Well, there's a the, first of all there's a, the need for the covenant, and I've already spelled that out to some degree. Uh, but let's reinforce it. What's the what's the need for this covenant? Well, it addresses a problem—a great problem. It's the problem of mutual distrust. Abraham does not trust Abimelech. He doesn't trust uh, trust the Philistines. He's thinking they'll kill me for my wife. And that is the reason why Abraham takes this sinful tact of lying about his wife. So he doesn't trust Abimelech. Also, we find in this chapter that Abimelech's servants probably his personal servants, had seized a well which Abraham had dug. So, uh, you know, in that country, in the Middle East, in those days, water was not so easy as just turning on the tap. I can go to any one of the sinks in my home and I can turn a little knob and I get water. That was not the way it was the days of Abimelech and Abraham. And some of you probably have lived in places where uh, water was not that readily available to you. You had to go someplace and you had to pump a pump to get water. You had to go to some other place and get water. Uh, Well, that was not the case with these men. Uh, Losing a well in the Middle East in Abraham's day was a big deal. Maybe that's why Um, Abraham was no longer living in Gerar. He's actually living 16 miles south of Abimelech because he had to find another place to dig a well and to get the water. So Abraham's right to the well, this is the need for the covenant from Abraham's side now. Um, Abraham has a right to the well. He has just dug, and he uh, gets that right to the well formally acknowledged by covenant oath. You see, that's what's ha- that's what's going on with the covenant. One of the issues of the covenant is the right to a well of water, which Abraham dug. So the seven ewe lambs, right? They are the reminder to Abimelech. Abraham dug this well. This is Abraham's well. Uh, The Philistines cannot take it from him. Abimelech, as I mentioned, does not trust Abraham. That's that's, uh, That's Abimelech's problem. But he doesn't want Abraham to attack the Philistines. God, remember, told Abimelech, I'm going to kill you if you don't return this man's wife. So Abimelech worries about a man like Abraham who has power with God. If Abraham decides to attack the Philistines, the Philistines wonder if they have any chance at all because God is with Abraham. That's the the introduction to the covenant, right? Abimelech tells Abraham, God is with you in all that you do. That's why I need to make a covenant with you, Abraham. You see. So Abimelech uh, tells Abraham about the commitment he wants Abraham to make in verse 23. Back in Genesis twenty-one, verse twenty-three. Look at this verse. Here's Abimelech's request. Now, therefore, swear to me here by God. It's got to be solemn. It's got to be firm. Swear to me by God that you will not deal falsely with me. Abraham's already dealt falsely with Abimelech, and Abimelech hasn't forgotten it. Swear to me here by God that you will not deal falsely with me or with my offspring or with my posterity. But according to all the kindness I have shown to you, you shall show to me, and to the land in which you have sojourned. These are the commitments that Abimelech wants Abraham to make, not just with a promise, but with an oath. So Abraham swears in verse 24. Very simple. Abraham says, I swear it. So that's the need, that's the that's the need for this covenant and the promise addressed. Secondly, Consider. let's consider what we have read about the parties in the covenant with uh, Abraham and King Abimelech. Now the main parties, interestingly, you can see it very clearly, are Abraham and Abimelech. Those are the main parties. Phicol is present, the commander of the army, and that may be uh, that he's a witness to the covenant, you could have a witness. You could have witnesses to covenants, or it may be that uh, Abimelech is flexing his military might in case Abraham decides he's not going to cooperate. If Abraham says, "Well, I'm not making that promise to you. I'm not going to promise to do you good. I'm not going to promise this." Well, Flight is there, commander of the army, uh, to flex his military muscles. But those are. There are more. There are more parties to the covenant. If you think about it, on the one hand, you have Abimelech, his offspring, and the land. So Abimelech says in this covenant, notice what is at stake here. There's the safety of Abimelech as the king and his offspring, who will be future kings, future rulers in Gerar, and the land itself. He says, I want the land to be secure. I want my offspring to be secure. So what's on the other side? Just Abraham? Well, ab- obviously not. Because in addition to Abraham, is Abraham's offspring. If Abimelech's offspring are on one side of the covenant, then Abraham's co- uh, offspring have to be on the other side of the covenant. Because Abraham's going to die one day and his seed. His offspring are going to be the ones in charge of keeping the covenant. And this is a feature of covenants. Very often, covenants are seldom just made between two people and nobody else. They almost always involve, not always, but almost always involve others beside who are in one way or another Related to the parties of the covenant. So, uh, this this is the parties of the covenant. Okay, so we've looked at the need for the covenant, the issue at stake. We've looked at the parties of the covenant. Let's consider the essential element of the covenant: oath, bound, promise. It's not just a verbal commitment. Yes, I'm going to do this. No, I'm not going to do that. But it is oath sworn promise. Uh, And and you have that, uh, Abimelech, verse 23a. He says, swear to me here by God. This is what I want from you, Abraham. I don't just want a general vague promise. I want an oath sworn promise. So that's what Abimelech calls for. Abraham complies. I swear it. So Abraham does. He makes an oath-bound promise. And both men engage in covenant-making. In verse 27, Abraham took sheep and oxen and gave them to Abimelech, and the two of them made a covenant. But the seven ewe lambs now, the seven ewe lambs were a token of the covenant, a reminder of the covenant which we saw in verses 28 to 30. Abraham takes seven Ulams, lambs, puts them by themselves. He's already given presents, assurances of goodwill to Abimelech. Now he takes seven Ulams. lambs. And uh, Abimelech, smart enough to say, well, these seven Ulams, lambs, they mean something. They're related to the covenant. What do they do? Well, uh, they are a reminder of that part of the covenant dealing with the ownership of the will. So this is the way that Abimelech is swearing, Abraham, you have the right to the well, it's your well, not our well, we won't touch it. He's he's making his commitment which Abraham wants from him. Really very interesting, Abraham doesn't want much from Abimelech. He wants the right to the well and that's what the covenant secures for Abraham. So we have the need for the covenant, the parties of the covenant, the element of the covenant, the essential element which is oath and promise, and then the token of the covenant, the seven ewe lambs. And I'll, I'll say um, every covenant does not have the token. Many covenants do, not every covenant does. So, now the last thing, before we move on, is the bilateral nature of this covenant. The bilateral nature. This is a covenant of equals, as it were. A covenant between two powerful men. Each of these men has an issue he wants resolved by covenant oath. Each of them wants something from the other. Each of them expects an oath, and that oath to be kept by the opposite party. Now you might argue in this that Abraham... It's not merely the equal of Abimelech. He's greater than Abimelech. I, I agree. He is. But both men agree about the issues to be settled. And this is where men get the definition of a covenant that a covenant is an agreement between two or more parties. That's where that definition comes from. It's attracted from this covenant and from many other covenants between men in the in the bible another example would be jacob and laban that'd be another example of covenant well the last thing i want to accomplish this morning in the time that remains is to help you understand that god's covenants are not bilateral covenants the covenant with abraham and abimelech is bilateral that is, is an agreement of equals. Each man expects something from the other and they swear an oath. God's covenants are not bilateral. God doesn't ask man's opinions. God imposes his covenants upon men. I want you to look at one example. We only have time for one example this morning. And that's in... Uh, the Noahic covenant, the covenant that God made with Noah. That's the that's the first place where you'll see uh, God swearing to a man, making a covenant with a man. That happens in Genesis six through nine. So you have a you have a fairly large, we're not gonna be reading Genesis six through nine. I'm counting on your knowledge of this very familiar portion of of the scriptures. You're familiar with it. Um, so we, we're going to read just enough to carry our judgment about the nature of this covenant between God and Noah. <laughs> you remember that Noah and his sons were the last persons mentioned in the genealogy of nations in Genesis chapter 5. It goes through from Adam to It goes through all of the descendants, and the last people mentioned at the end of Genesis 5 is Noah and his sons Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Immediately after that, Moses writes the reason for the flood and the reason for the covenant. And again, this is very familiar territory to us. Mankind was so thoroughly, grievously corrupt that God determined to destroy mankind and all flesh that breathed. Not animals in the water, but all the land animals, God's, God determined he was going to destroy. But there was one exception, one exception, and that exception was this man, Noah. So in Genesis chapter six and verse nine, actually we could uh, we could go back to verse eight, But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. Noah found favor. God looked upon Noah and he blessed him. He showed kindness to Noah. Then verse 9, these are the generations of Noah. Noah was a righteous man. Blameless in his time, Noah walked with God. And then... You have 7-1, chapter 7 and verse 1. Then the Lord said to Noah, Enter the ark, you and all your household, for you alone have I seen to be righteous before me in this time. So God had given direction to Noah to build the ark and to enter the ark where he and his family would be safe. God commands Noah to make the ark. He declares his intention to make the covenant with Noah. Look back at chapter 6, Genesis chapter 6, starting in verse 13. Then God says to Noah, The end of all flesh has come before me, for earth is filled with violence because of them, and behold, I am about to destroy them with the earth. Make for yourself an ark of gopher wood. You shall make the ark with runes, and shall cover it inside and out with pitch. This is how you shall make it. The length of of the ark, 300 cubits, its breadth, 50 cubits, and its height, 30 cubits. You shall make a window for the ark and finish it to a cubit from the top and set the door of the ark in the side of it. You shall make it with second, with lower, second, and third decks. Behold, I am bringing the flood of water on the earth to destroy all flesh, and so God is uh, God is uh, God is giving Noah his intention. He's telling him he's going to make a covenant with him, and uh, the actual terms of the covenant are spelled out in chapter nine, verses eight to seventeen. And I want to read that with you. Very quickly, Genesis chapter 9, starting in verse 8. Then God spoke, this is after the flood, after the rainbow has been given, then God spoke to Noah and to his sons with him, saying, Behold, I myself do establish my covenant with you and with your descendants after you and with every living creature that is with you, the birds, the cattle, and every beast of the earth with you, all that comes out of the ark, even every beast of the earth. I establish my covenant with you, and all flesh shall never again be cut off by the water of the flood, neither shall there be a flood to destroy the earth. God said, this is the sign of the covenant which I am making between me and you and every living creature that is with you for all successive generations. I set my bow in the cloud, and it shall be... For a sign of the covenant between me and the earth, it shall come about when I bring a cloud over the earth that the bow will be seen in the cloud. And I will remember my covenant, which is between me and you and every living creature of all flesh. And never again shall water uh, become a flood to destroy the earth. And that's where I'm going to stop. So, if you read Genesis Six, seven, eight, and nine, you're going to notice something is absent. Noah has no input into the covenant. Noah doesn't say, I have an idea. Maybe we should do this. It's a unilateral covenant. God makes the covenant, He initiates the covenant. He includes Noah and his sons and the animals and succeeding generations. And God makes the covenant. God says the way the covenant's going to work. Noah, Noah. Of course, Noah does what God says. That's very smart. (laughs) It'd be pretty foolish for Noah to rebel. But Noah just does what God says. God gives directions. Noah Obey's God does make, takes the initiative, and there's no negotiation in this covenant, unlike the covenant between Abimelech and and Abraham. That there's negotiation there. There are terms set. Each man has his input to the covenant, but God's covenant with Noah is unilateral, and that's a feature of all of God's covenants with man. God. Is in charge and God makes the covenant terms. Yeah. Last thing I want to say, my time is gone, is that what God does with covenants is He makes assurances for mankind. I think about the covenant with Noah. Think about 9 11. I remember, you remember 9 11 and you remember how you felt. When you heard the sound of a plane coming over in the skies, all the airports were shut down. When you saw a plane in the sky or a plane said, What's going on? Well that would have been similar to come to being outside the ark after the flood and you heard a thunderstorm. Your immediate reaction would be, What's going on? Oh, yeah, that's right, God made a covenant. Whatever is happening, no matter how big the storm is, it's no flood. It's no flood because God has assured us by an oath-sworn promise and a token that it's not going to flood the earth again. What God does for us through the Lord Jesus Christ is he makes oath-sworn assurances that in the Lord Jesus Christ, we will not be destroyed, We can trust God by two things in which it is impossible for God to lie. We may have strong assurance. Well, that's where we'll have to stop this morning. Let's give thanks to God for his word. We do bow before you, Father, through the Lord Jesus Christ. We're so grateful that he has died on our behalf and he has assured us that we now have peace with you and we may come to you and we may be assured that everything you have said regarding salvation, we may depend upon because you are a faithful covenant keeping God. So receive our thanks. Help us to trust in you. Come what may. We ask through Jesus name. Amen. Amen.